millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Context. The day was pleasant and fair. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Festive. Opening presents early in the morning with my sister's hearty breakfast made by Dad. Delicious smells from the kitchen as Mom and Dad prepare to feast. Visits from extended family bringing pies and cakes for dessert. Around two, we all sat down to eat and then lazed about for the rest of the afternoon into the evening. Story. At about eight after everyone had left and the food was all put away for round two the following day, I decided to head over to visit my friend in the next village. The drive would be about ten minutes if I took back roads to get there, so I did. First, a little background on where my friend lived. It was a housing development surrounding a private lake, you might call it a gated community. You could still drive through it freely after hours by entering one of four private entry points. Since the community was built around a lake, the road surrounding it went in a spiral sort of shape. The houses were sparsely positioned on the outermost part of the spiral road closest to the four private entry points. As you drove in further, there were a lot more houses positioned closer together nearer the lake. 
My friend lived on the outer edge of this development, so once I reached the entry point, it would only take me another few minutes until I reached his house. His house, along with all the others, were far enough apart that you couldn't see them from the road as you drove by. They were either woods all around with long drives or open fields with long drives. You could see porch lights on in the distance, but that was about it. As I entered into the development, the speed limit dropped from 30 miles per hour down to 20. There were no street lights in the development, and for some reason, I never put my high beams on. I couldn't go any faster than the speed limit because there were speed bumps in place every 30 feet or so for a bit. It was a mild night. I remember having my driver's side window open slightly, taking in some fresh air. I remember driving in silence, which was unusual for me. I normally always listen to music when driving. I must have been enjoying the quietness after the commotion of the day. I reached a section of road that had barren fields on either side and wood set back. Houses were probably nestled back into the trees. As I drove, I noticed what looked like someone walking up ahead on the opposite side of the road coming in my direction. Mind you, I was still going about 20 miles per hour the whole time, so it was probably less than a minute by the time the walker came into clear view. I got a quick scan of it from my windshield before my car, and it were exactly parallel. This is what I saw. It was not a person. It stood on two long legs with long arms hanging down from its shoulders. It was strong-looking, lean, muscular, but not beefy in stature. It looked thin at the same time. It stood at least seven foot tall. It was light-colored, not sure whether it was white, tan, yellow, or grayish. It didn't appear to have fur, but there was some texture to the skin. It wasn't smooth. There appeared to be something coming down off its back. I don't know what this was. All I can recall about its face is the small features it had, but the mouth and jaw were notably large, and it had pointed things atop its head, two things going straight upward with something mingled between the two things. That's what I got from a quick scan and from my observation of it as it neared my car and my car neared it. As my car became parallel to it within a split second, I went from looking out my windshield to looking at it from my driver's side window. In that moment, its face quickly peered down at me, and all I remember was the mouth opened wide. Out came a remarkable scream that I'll never forget. Gives me the chills just thinking about it. It consisted of a high-pitched, shrill shriek, enveloped by a deep, guttural growl. Both sounds happened simultaneously in that scream. I kept driving all the while. This was all happening so fast that I didn't even have a chance to be scared or shocked or anything. I continued driving and went past my friend's house and drove home, called him to tell him what happened and that I just needed to get back. I was probably running on adrenaline to get back home. Later on, I was in total shock after it sunk in. Had my driver's side window been opened fully, it would have touched me, or worse, taken me. I'm certain of it. To this day, I still haven't worked out what this was. Anyone else see anything like this or hear what I heard?
The sun was barely over the horizon when our seasoned hunting troop of 31 hunters, myself included, assembled at the rendezvous point. We had been hired by a wealthy collector to track down and capture a rare cryptid rumored to possess mystical powers. The stakes were high, and the allure of the reward was enough to draw us all together, each of us an expert in our own right. As we delved deeper into the mystery, we quickly realized that we were not dealing with an ordinary creature. This cryptid was unlike anything we had ever encountered before, and it soon became apparent that we were caught in a deadly game of cat and mouse. We lost our fellow hunters one by one, each of them falling prey to the cryptid's cunning and ferocity. Our numbers dwindled, and as the body count rose, so too did our fear. We knew that our only hope of survival lay in taking down the creature before it could pick us all off. In a climactic showdown, the creature struck with a terrifying speed and strength, killing thirty of my comrades. I, Joe, was the only one left standing. My heart pounded in my chest as I realized the enormity of the task that lay before me. Determined to avenge my fallen friends and fulfill our mission, I devised an elaborate plan to outsmart the cryptid. I studied the creature's movements and habits. Identifying its weaknesses and using the natural terrain to my advantage, I discovered that the predator was a poor swimmer, and so I led it to a fast-flowing river, forcing the creature to enter the water, where it was at a disadvantage. As the cryptid struggled against the powerful current, I struck using my expert knowledge and skills to incapacitate the creature. It roared in pain and frustration, but I could see the fight draining from its eyes. As the creature lay defeated before me, I faced a difficult decision. I could capture the cryptid and deliver it to the wealthy collector, claiming the reward that had drawn us all into this deadly game. Or I could let the creature go free, allowing it to return to the wild where it belonged. In the end, I chose the latter. I knew that no amount of money could ever make up for the lives that had been lost, and that the true value of the experience lay in the knowledge and understanding I had gained. Fishing in the South Atlantic, no land in sight, following the birds to pick up sings of schooling fish. We find a deep-sea pinnacle, and every time we troll through the area, we pick up a good number of fish, so decide to focus on the site for a while. All is normal, and the fish we were catching are consistently a good size. On what would be the our last good run, one of the rods bends. Line gets pulled taut, and before anyone can tend to it, the rods flicks back, shooting the lure into the cabin of the boat. We were running our lures just below the surface, so it couldn't have snagged on anything, and we saw no signs of whales in the area. No matter what we did after that, we could not catch any more fish. We were all experienced fishermen, and none of us could logically explain what could have caused that. As our boat approached the remote island, the anticipation among the group was palpable. We were a group of experienced hunters, and this once, in a lifetime hunting expedition, promised to be the pinnacle of our careers. 
Little did we know that this seemingly idyllic island was home to an array of deadly cryptids, creatures that had long remained hidden from human eyes. The first few days went smoothly as we tracked and hunted the island's native wildlife, unaware of the lurking danger. It wasn't long, however, before the cryptids began to reveal themselves, their stealth and cunning matched only by their ferocity. They started to hunt us, picking off members of our group one by one. As the death toll rose, it became clear that I was the last remaining hunter. Fear coursed through my veins, but I knew that my only chance of survival was to rely on my instincts and cunning. I resolved to face the Alpha Cryptid, the leader of these deadly creatures, and bring an end to this nightmare. I scoured the island for poisonous plants and fungi, my knowledge of the local flora serving me well. With these ingredients, I concocted a potent toxin, its deadly properties capable of bringing down even the most formidable of adversaries. I applied the toxin to my weapon and set about creating traps laced with the poison, positioning them strategically throughout the island. As night fell, the Alpha Cryptid emerged from the shadows, its fearsome presence announcing its arrival. My heart pounded in my chest, but I steeled myself, knowing that this confrontation would determine my fate. The predator lunged at me, but I was prepared. I dodged its initial attack and lured it towards one of my traps. As the creature came into contact with a toxin, it began to weaken and display signs of disorientation. Sensing my advantage, I continued to lure it from trap to trap, each exposure to the toxin compounding its effects. Finally, the once mighty Alpha Cryptid lay defeated before me, its body trembling as the poison coursed through its veins. I raised my weapon, my hands shaking with a mixture of fear and adrenaline, and delivered the final blow. Exhausted and battered, I made my way back to the boat, my heart heavy with the weight of the events that had transpired. As the island disappeared into the distance, I couldn't help but reflect on the thin line that separates hunter from hunted. I vowed never to forget the lessons I had learned on that remote and deadly island, for in the end it was not brute strength, but cunning and resourcefulness that had saved my life. A friend and I were day hiking on a somewhat off the beaten path part of a trail near a local swimming hole. We stopped to have a snack next to the creek, and shortly after we noticed a middle-aged man wearing short neon orange wind shorts walking quickly up the trail toward us on the other side of the creek. When he was directly across the creek from us, he sat down on a rock, maybe 10, 15 feet away from us. He was somewhat obscured by vegetation, but we heard what sounded like him squeezing sunscreen into his hands or something. We didn't think much of it at first, but he just sat there staring at us and moving kind of weird. We finally realized he was vigorously jerking off. We started yelling at him to go away and threw the apples we were eating at him as we grabbed our backpacks to leave. I swear I heard his jizz hit the water as he finished. All of this happened in like less than five minutes. We got the F out of there and warned a couple we ran into on the trail near the parking lot our way out. I don't know if he had been waiting or the opportunity just presented itself. 
It's not so much that the action itself was shocking to me, but it was the first time I realized that, as a woman, I still have to be aware of my surroundings when I'm camping, or hiking like I would going to my car at night in a parking lot. Before that, I'd always felt safer in nature because I didn't think I had to worry about people. I am a small woman who loves solo camping. I know all the stories. I know it can be dangerous. I do my research and I go in safe as I can. Not a gun person, but I bring the loud alarms, bear and pepper spray, and I always stop at the ranger sites on the way in to say, hey, I'm here this where. I'm going to be, and this is when I'm hiking back out. I'm very aware of my surroundings. I usually go late fall because I hate the heat and backpack in. This time of year, I'm often the only source of light for a while around which means all the moths come to me in my fire, and then all the bats beat at the side of my tent for an hour or so after I stop reading and turn off all the light. It was creepy my first year, but I didn't mind it anymore. It was about half an hour after all the bats had given up, eating all the bugs I'd drawn to my little oasis. When I started hearing them beating their wings in the trees again, I gathered my sprays and horn but it was just the beating of their wings, no light, so I figured maybe they had decided to nest over my campsite. I tried to go to sleep, but my neck was prickly. About an hour later, I heard screaming, human screaming. I tried to call the ranger number, but no signal. I stayed awake all night and heard nothing else. Hiked out that day. Ranger said they didn't know anything. Went back, packed my shit up, and went home. Even though I had another few days of vacation left, didn't feel right. A few weeks later, it was reported that two women went missing in that park while I was there. Never found. I still go solo camping. I always follow my gut. It was Christmas Day, late afternoon. I have a ham in the oven and we were waiting for it to be done. My husband and his dad went to the neighborhood Quick Mart. They were driving home and turned onto our street, which is just down the block from a school. They see what they thought was a hang glider landing on the football field. They remember it's Christmas Day and we live in a very suburban neighborhood less than a mile from downtown. Who would be hang gliding on Christmas Day when the area is full of houses, trees, etc.? They saw a human figure gliding in the air about 100 yards above the ground, and the car was about 30 yards from it. My husband describes it like this. It was light gray, as if it is a smooth suit with no scales or bumps. It seemed to be wearing goggles. He did not see arms. He saw wings behind him, like the ice skater racers in the Olympics, arms close to the body but maneuvering. Its wings were not feathered, but does not have any more details. At no time did it unfurl them completely. The thing seemed to realize that it was being watched, and it rose, and it suddenly changed direction. My husband tried to trail it in the car, but it flew away quickly. I admit I have written to Anne Rice about my account of my encounter with a vampire. 
I find it interesting that she first wrote Interview with a Vampire in 1973. The book was published in 1976. I didn't read the book until 1980. Upon reading the book, I felt she may have met the same person I met in 1973. I've never received a reply from her. I do realize that she probably gets thousands of emails per month on her website. I wrote to her in 2001. I have told my story several times to several different people and I always get the same response, one of disbelief. Although my mother and sister sometimes still tease me, asking, Do you remember when you dated that vampire? I am now 50, one years old. 34 years ago, I was 17, and that summer I was working for the United States Forest Service as an intern through a government program called the Neighborhood Youth Corps. We planted trees and dug potential firebreak lines in the forests of northern Idaho. A firefighting crew came into town midsummer, since it was a particularly dry summer and was on standby, just in case they were needed. Among that crew was the most beautiful young man I had ever seen. He had long blonde hair, perfectly symmetrical features. He reminded me of a more refined version of Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin. He was tall and handsome and everything I ever thought I would give up my virginity to. I spent a lot of time just looking at him. He apparently noticed and began talking to me when the crew came into town from their forest station. He asked me out, and I was ecstatic. We met for dinner several times, always late, after 10 p.m. He never ate, urging me to order whatever I would like to have, and he would have a glass of wine. I never knew how old he was, but the drinking age in Idaho at the time was 19. He also had a European accent of some sort. He said he was from Germany. We would part at the restaurant. He never made any attempt to kiss me, which I thought very strange since every other guy I had dated prior was always all over me. One night I suggested we meet at a place very near to my apartment as I planned to ask him back to my house afterward for whatever. You got it. I wanted him. Fast forward to my apartment. After opening a bottle of wine and chatting, he said he wanted to take me into his confidence because he really liked me. He continued to say that he doesn't usually tell anyone the truth about him because it scares people. Okay, I felt the first flash of fear. He then went on to tell me that he was from Germany and was over 400 years old, that he was a vampire. I didn't know what to say. So I asked, what do you mean, vampire? He said he was from an aristocratic family and was chosen and attacked by a vampire in his family's estate. He was made a vampire by his attacker. By virtue of what he had become, he left with this other vampire and traveled all over the world. He came to hate him so much that he branched out on his own in France after many years. I asked him if he drank blood and killed people. He paused and said that yes, sometimes he chose to take a human life. Okay, at this point, my fear was turning to terror. He was either a psychopath with a really interesting story, or he was the real thing, and I was about to die. Either way, I told him he was scaring me. He said he thought he probably would, and that was not his intention. It was hard for him to make friends. 
and when he felt he could trust someone, he would tell them the truth about himself, since his lifestyle was not ordinary and needed the acceptance of what friends he had to maintain, a friendship with them. He also told me that he knew I was expecting to have sex with him and that he would agree to that, but that sex was really no longer pleasurable to him, although he knew it was pleasurable to normals. Okay, by this time I was really freaking out and said I think you should leave. I remember he looked really sad. He said of course he would leave, but he wanted me to think about being friends with him. I said I don't think so. You need to leave. He got up slowly and picked up his jacket and reached inside his jacket pocket for a pen and paper. I was really shaking by this time and thought his every move was a ploy to his move to kill me. But he wrote his phone number at the camp on a piece of paper and said, If you change your mind, call me. And then he left. When he walked out the door, I was trembling so badly I could barely dial the phone. I called my mother to come get me to take me home that night. I told her I just ended a date with a really creepy, scary guy. I paced the floor until she got there listening for any sounds that might indicate that he was breaking into my apartment. I told my parents, and they said I did the right thing by calling them. My dad said it's time for you to move out of that apartment, and I did. I never called the guy, and I never saw him again. His name was Manfred Kirshner. I have never forgotten him. I thought he was a psycho until I read an interview by Anne Rice. I have wondered for 28 years now if he is who Rice called Lestat. Believe me or not, there you have it. I was 12 years old while I was visiting my friend Max at his house. I hadn't seen him for a year because we went to different school. Max lived on a rural piece of land. They had a big house his parents made, a field then. If you followed a road for a bit, you'd arrive at a patch of dense Oregon woods. I would often go outside at home, but I was never smart enough to wear hiking boots, so I always wore tall rubber boots. Anyways, we decided we would follow the road for a bit and cut into the woods and make a fork. So we got going and we found a spot to cut into the woods by some construction vehicles. Now, this wasn't on his property, so there was a lot of stuff related to development and deforestation. So, we were going to cut into the woods when one of us saw it. There was a pile of maybe 20 cow skulls and a good amount of Coors cans. We marked as as odd, built our fort in the woods, and walked back to the house for some homemade cheese and crackers. I was good friends with my neighbor and his family when I was a teenager. My neighbor was a youth, pastor of a local church. Apparently someone at the church decided to do a backpacking trip in Yosemite National Park. My neighbor had never been backpacking before, and he knew I was an avid backpacker and hiker, so he basically begged me to go with him. I agreed and met his youth group, geez, what a bunch of misfits. These kids, ranging from 14, 17, I was 18 at the time, and they were poorly behaved. Some had bad attitudes, and one in particular bragged long and loud about how he'd wrestle a bear. 
We hiked up the mist trail into Little Yosemite Valley, which is on the backside of Half Dome. We spent the day hiking in some really nice territory. I didn't much care for my group, but the 19-year-old five-feet female trail guide was friendly, so it wasn't a total loss. The campsite at Little Yosemite Valley is backpackers. Only so the site is basically a forested area with a few felled trees which act as markers for the different campsites. It was summer and fair weather, so we didn't bring tents, sleeping out on tarps and sleeping bags. As I was trying to bed down and go to sleep, a couple of the punks in the group thought it was funny to lob small sticks and stones at me. I asked them to stop, but these punks just laughed and kept it up. It sufficiently pissed me off that I vowed to get even. I waited until the chatter died off and the sounds of deep sleep breathing grew around me. The forested campground was pitch black on a new moon night. Nigh campfires allowed and quiet all around. The only differentiation between blackness of surroundings was the velvety purple of the night sky blazing with millions of stars. I crept out of my sleeping bag and crawled on my hands and knees, carefully brushing the forest floor in front of me, clear of needles and twigs, which there was a lot, so that as I moved I wouldn't make any sounds. I crawled over to the two punks who threw stones at me and found their hiking boots and tossed their boots off into the bushes, then crawled back to my sleeping bag silently and went to sleep with a grin on my face. Sleep came quickly after that. I snapped awake sometime later, still pitch black, inky darkness all around, and everything is completely, totally, eerily silent. I happened to be laying on my side when I awoke, and I woke completely. No middle groggy ground, just snapped awake from a dead sleep. I could see a narrow sliver of velvet night sky between the trunks of trees about five, six feet off the ground. Right at that moment, a shadow broke the bottom edge of that sliver of night sky. My breathing froze and my heartbeat ratcheted up quickly. I lay still, totally awake, staring wide awake into the darkness, straining with all my senses, listening, nothing. Silence. I told myself it must have been an owl gliding through the darkness on silent wings and closed my eyes and slowed my breathing, trying to go back to sleep. I start to drowse off again when, all of a sudden, one of the backpacks in the line of backpacks that were set against the fallen marker log of our campsite starts to jingle. Well, the zippers started jingling. I froze again, trying to figure out what the heck would make those zippers jingle as no other backpack zippers were jingling. Right then, our 19-year-old five-feet trail guide flicks on her flashlight. Six inches away from a brown bear's face, the bear had jumped onto the backpack and was doing a full reverse tug trying to make off with it. But the dead log had snapped limbs and by pulling the bag, it had torn the nylon and hopelessly snagged it. It took a moment to register. There is a bear in camp, six feet to my left. Our trail guide starts yelling at it and hitting it in the face with small stones. She scooped up off the forest floor. Yeah, bear, yeah. This woke up the whole camp pretty quick, and someone started blowing one of those ultrasonic whistles. The bear gave up and sprinted out of camp, dodging between tents, shaking its head like it had bees in its ears. It didn't come back. 
Turns out one of the punks who'd been throwing stones at me while I was trying to go to sleep left a bag of trail mix in his backpack. I shot a deer a late evening hunt, tracked till dark, went to get help. I brought my brother and hunting partner in on the recovery or tracking of the buck. We walked in about 8 p.m., got down to Never Go Creek. About 1.30, 2 a.m., then up the ridge about 2.30, it was quiet. A light snow fell and dark. We had a good lantern bright out to 50 feet. My brother said, shush, listen, you hear that? It's your deer. I can hear it. It sounds like it's still alive. I shot the buck with an arrow, a killing shot, and believed it to have been gone hours ago. My brother said he could hear the deer gasping for air or gargling. I listened, yet it sounded like a light, woofing, growling sound. It became louder as we got closer. I now could hear it pretty well and was convinced it could possibly be the deer dying bummer. I asked my brother to hold the lantern up high. He was nervous about going down to the animals, so he stayed with my friend. I thought I would run quickly down to the sound I thought was the deer and dip patch it with my hunting knife. I made it to the end of the lamp's light. The darkness erupted in the closest encounter with an unidentified animal, screaming low to high pitch, very loudly. I turned around and ran for my life. I made it to my brother and friend, clutching them and them me. What is that? I said. The animal continued to whoop, then scream at us. It circled around and above us. It screamed for a good five minutes, while we ran for your lives. We came out of the drying edge around 5 a.m. in the morning. We had gotten lost for a short time, for of all fear we had. I was sure we were goners. Till this day I'm afraid and can't get out into any mountains for fear of that creature, possibly the Bigfoot. I've hunted, fished, hiked, camped, was a logger, and never in twenty years ever experienced anything like this. Not an elk, not a lion, not an owl. Hi, everyone. I have been following this Reddit page with glee for the past few years without any stories of my own. I live in London, United Kingdom. Anyway, I did something different this year and had a holiday of a lifetime in New England and Ontario. Just for background, I hike a lot in the United Kingdom, and nearly always by myself. Even though I work full-time and live in London, I, I tend to do about 30000 a week. Anyway, I took my boots to the United States of America and had a few hikes round upstate New York. We were obviously on a road trip. that We were driving through the White Mountains in New Hampshire. Anyway, we were just past Lincoln and taking the long way to Concord when we decided to stop at a shelter on a mountain road. I put my boots on, but none of my family fancied it. So I decided to follow what looked like an old trail. There was no trail head here, although I was officially in the White Forest State Park. I kept following aware that my family were still on the road, but didn't expect me back for an hour. It got very silent, very quickly, with what I heard is broken twigs all the time. I felt like something or someone was following me. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being stalked, especially as I'd seen an old derelict shelter at the start of the trail. 
Anyway, it also dawned on me that I was an ill-prepared Brit with only a penknife to protect myself. I decided to head back, but still couldn't shake the weird feeling. New Hampshire did have this hold over me, by the way. Beautiful, but very disconcerting. I've lived in the same house my entire life, and many strange things have occurred there, but these recent events are just odd to me. My family rescued a stray cat, now my best friend Lowell. About seven, eight months ago, he is still young, about two years, I believe. My mom has been someone who would, for some reason, have dreams of events right before they occur. She can't control them or anything, but they are sometimes of deaths of loved ones, which would turn out to be true. So I guess you could say she is open to the paranormal. I have experienced some strange things in the house, such as shadows waving at me, and I don't mean at the corner of my eye they would be waving directly at me. But that all happened when I was younger, so I am still skeptical about the paranormal. Although I have seen an unidentified anomalous phenomena with my family when I was younger that I still have no explanation for, but that's a story for another time. Now regarding my cat, there was this night about a couple of months ago when my mom felt the cat jump on her bed. She then felt the cat walk up to her face, but she got annoyed and covered her face with the blankets, expecting the cat to bother her fur or food. The cat then clawed at the blankets, trying to take them down from her face, and this happened for about twenty minutes. This was until she was so annoyed she got up and turned on the lights, but she then saw how the door was closed and that the cat wasn't even in her room at the time. I was actually awake around the time when this was happening to her. I have trouble sleeping, and the cat was sleeping next to me that night. The strange thing is that I actually heard footsteps walking toward my door, which was closed, which then stopped as I looked at the door. I then heard them continue away from my door and toward the room where my mom sleeps. Besides the occasional knocking noises and footsteps, not much happened since then. But last night it seemed like something was messing with me. My cat was also sleeping with me last night, and right when I was about to fall asleep, I woke up completely, as I hear the noise my cat makes with his claws when he stretches on the carpet, which is almost like a popping and tearing noise. I sit up and the noise suddenly stops. I laid back down, and when I was falling asleep again, the noise started up. I saw my cat wake up as well, and he began turning his head to look around the room to try and see what the cause of the noise was. At that point, I was just trying to ignore the noise and sleep since I have school this morning. However, my cat was way more annoyed than me, and he got up and walked around the edges of my bed, looking around to find the source of the noise. The creepy thing is that the noise seemed to move around. At first, it sounded right outside of my door. But then it sounded like it was in the ceiling above me and then right under my bed. And the noise would just continue to jump around my room. My cat walked up to the headboard of my bed, which is cushioned, and he did the claw-popping noise thing just for like a second, which was not normal as every time he would do that, he would do it for about a minute or so. But immediately after the second he did it, the other noise stopped completely 
and then my cat stopped and laid next to me again. We both went to sleep. Also, for the past couple of weeks, I have been having horrible nightmares. Sometimes I can't even remember them, but I just remember the fear I felt. And every time I wake up in a cold sweat, completely drenched. I don't know why all of this is happening, but perhaps there is a rational explanation for all of this that I just don't know of. But maybe you guys have had similar experiences of some kind. I just needed to get this out there, and I will update the situation if you guys want. But for now, this is what has happened so far. Edit. I forgot to add the fact that there was a time when I was whistling during the night, and then all of a sudden, I hear whistling back at me from across the house. I thought it was someone in my family doing it, so I went out there. Everyone was asleep except my mom, and I went up to her and asked her if she was doing it. She said no, and she didn't hear it. But then and I whistled again, right there and again. Something whistled back at us from across the house. But this time I knew for sure it wasn't my family, since no one was in that part of the house the whistle was coming from. It was coming from the room I was just in originally, and someone moved all the way over there. My mom heard it this time, and still, both of us can't explain how something can clearly whistle back like that without being seen. This was way before my cat. I also recently had times when my basement door, which has three locks on it, was wide open in the morning, even though I saw it was closed right before I went to sleep. My parents have heard talking in rooms while they are entering them, which the noise would stop when they fully enter. This happened in the same room the basement door is in. I could try and record the noises I've heard if they happened again, but I will let you guys know. Zero percent of my life, I lived in a house in Marquette, Michigan that was inhabited by my entire family over the course of 43 years. Growing up, I was always scared in my house, and I could never put my finger on it until I eventually bought a house. The house felt like someone was always watching you. No matter where you were, it felt like someone was sitting in the corner of the room. Unexplained footsteps, talking, knocking yelling, chairs and tables moving in the floor above you when no one was home. From the time I was eight until twenty-six, I literally couldn't go in the house by myself unless there was a light on. There were times where I would wait outside when I was a kid for someone to come home before I went in because I witnessed someone standing in the attic window looking out at me. Now that I've moved 13 miles away from my childhood or early adulthood home, I feel like I'm missing a part of me. The scary S that happened was almost comforting because I knew how it worked. I could fall asleep hearing mumble talking in the floor above, was used to walking at all hours in different parts of the house. Am I crazy or did I have some sort of attachment? <laughs> 